their paths crossed like two hot wires. We are just about the friendliest folks you would ever want to meet. That's Bonnie. I'm sorry, I was looking for Maud. Everyone has the right to make an ass out of themselves. You can't let the world judge you too much. That woman, she took my car. This is Bonnie and Maud, the film podcast, with Xenia Yarosh and Eleanor Kagan. You're listening to Bonnie and Maud. I'm Eleanor Kagan. And I'm Xenia Yarosh. I'm really excited about our guest on our show today. I first came across her hilarious illustrations and her writing on the hairpin, but it has spread its wings throughout the internet and beyond. Um, She hosts a great podcast called Baby Geniuses, and you can see a lot of her creative work as she is the production designer and co-producer of the show BoJack Horseman. I'm so excited. Our guest is Lisa Hanawalt. Hey. Hey. Thanks so much for being on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. And this is a cross uh, national show as you are in LA and we are in New York. So we are coast to coast talking. The best, the best coasts. And the movie we're talking about today is a little movie that I love called Hook. (laughs) And I understand that this is a movie that you love as well. I adore it. It's it's a it's a piece of my DNA. <laughs> <laughs> when we were talking about, you know, what to talk about on the show, Hook was the first thing that you suggested. Uh, why did you pick that? If I just had to choose one favorite movie that was the most meaningful to me um, for the greatest portion of my life, I think Hook was it. When I was nine years old, I went to see it in the theater and Uh, It was so affecting to me that I needed to go back the next day and see it again. And then I watched it again recently and it held up. (laughs) This movie is so affecting even now as adults. If for some reason you have not seen this movie, it is 1981, Steven Spielberg, starring Robin Williams, Bob Hoskins, both of them. Dustin Hoffman. Missed dearly. Dustin Hoffman and Maggie Smith and others. It's also Gwyneth Paltrow's first movie. Oh yeah, she pops in for a second as young Wendy. So this is, of course, uh, Peter Pan is all grown up and, you know, has to return to Never Neverland to save his children and be reminded the magic of being Peter Pan and uh, the magic of youth. (laughs) Maybe I'll just start off with the weird thing about it is that I find this movie strangely erotic. Something, something about the (laughs) fact that we are introduced to hook, like as an adult, he's grown up and he has a wife now and has, and has kids. Peter Pan as an adult. Yes. Um, as Robin Williams, who's like not really a sexy man to me, but something about his character is sexy. Like the fact that he's gone through puberty and like he, <laughs> he um, like that transformation is sexy to me. And then he has to like be reminded what it was like to be a child. And he, he goes back to Never Never Land and like all the little lost boys like kind of tease him for being an adult now and for having like procreated and had kids. Like there's something really weird about that to me. And then his thing with Tinkerbell is super weird. Any remnant of eroticism <laughs> that I saw in this movie was um, when he was on the ship and he had sort of transformed back into young Pan and his hair is all wild and like his eyes are big and like... Yeah, they're so piercing blue. Like he's no longer the old man. Like you can really see him embodying this youthful someone. That transformation is so exciting because suddenly he can fly and Rufio's like, oh, fuck. And <laughs> um, But I also, I like him as an old man too, though, because it's like he's a man now. 
Yeah. I mean, the thing about Peter Pan is, I think in general, Peter Pan is like a sexy character, right? He well, even flies, like, he's like a little girl's fantasy. The fact that his name is Pan, like totally. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Embodies him with like sexuality and like playfulness. Also, the fact that he's kind of like gender fluid because that character is often played by a grown, like an adult totally. woman. I find really sexy. Um, there's like sort of a cross-dressing aspect to it. The um, tights. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting, weird character. So didn't Mary Martin play him in the live action movie? Or am I completely making that up? There are a lot of women who've played him. Yeah. I, I, I don't remember all the names. I know New York Magazine recently did like a whole chronology of all the women who played him. And it's awesome. I mean, it's like maybe you guys had different like childhood fantasies as young girls, but like the idea <laughs> of like this cute guy flying into your room in the middle of the night and being like, let's go to a magical world together. Like that's all I wanted as a kid was some like, cute boy to come to my window and like whisk me off to a if magical world. If you want world. to take this fantasy further, you should check out The Lost Girls. <laughs> oh, I've... Uh, flip- Basically continues with that. Yeah, I flipped through that and seen it. Um, that's that like kind of fucked up comic book, right? Yeah, it's pornography. It's kind of beautiful, though. It is beautiful. It's all about Dorothy and Wendy and um, Alice as they've like grown up and remember their sexual pursuits in their younger years. So is there something though about Hook specifically though that uh, you know like attracted you more than just like the general Peter Pan story or like the Disney Peter Pan cartoon that we grew up on? Oh, I love the Hook in this. He's so uh vulnerable and uh, he's like incredibly suicidal and it, it actually it's kind of similar to the Disney cartoon though isn't it like he's kind of neurotic in that as well so maybe that's yeah. that's true to the book um, but Dustin Hoffman is is just so so great in this movie he also has kind of a drag thing going on too um, like you know his big over-the-top wig at the end and his like big ruffly costume oh absolutely he's like he looks like a like a French king and then like I feel like I have like part of my DNA is the way that he calls out for Smee it's like <laughs> I, like I have that sound bite embedded in my brain now he's like Smee <laughs> Smee This has come up in a previous podcast that Ksenia and I have recorded before, but it is also the undeniable sexiness of Bob Hoskins. <laughs> he's such a he's such a swarthy, hairy man. He's so cute though, too. He's like adorable. I think I fell in love with him because of the movie Mermaids. He's so like just earnest and lovable in that movie. So even, you know, coming back and now rewatching Hook with Bob Hoskins, I'm just like, yep, it's still there. Yeah, he's like a cuddly, manly bear. <laughs> I definitely like those bearish guys. <laughs> this is getting very personal. <laughs> but speaking about that, did you notice how, okay, Robin Williams, we all know, was a very, very hairy man. Yes. He is hairless in this movie. When do we see him without a shirt? When he is being trained back into Peter Pan by the Lost Boys. He oh. he must have waxed or shaved, like like 100%. That's what happened. Oh, that's crazy. He wasn't fucking around. He prepared for this role. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he went to the spa and he waxed it. 
Peter Pan doesn't have hair on his chest. That is like the sort of like boyish gender fluid thing that you mentioned earlier. Like Pan, I guess, is supposed to be sort of like the every child. Until he grows up and becomes a businessman. (laughs) I love the businessman scenes though too, like in the very beginning when he's walking through the office and he's got that like flip phone. Wait, is it a flip phone or is it just, it's just like a huge phone, right? It's, it's like just a brick. Yeah, it's like, it's just it's like, like one of the size huge... of a refrigerator. So this movie is from 1991. And like, I felt like there was a little bit of fallout from like 80s movies workplaces where you have like the group of people walking down a hall, like shouting very important things at each other. And everyone it's has very, sh- um, it's very uh, West Wing. Everyone has like humongous glasses and ill-fitting suits. And it's just, it screams business. It's like Working Girl, like my other favorite movie. <laughs> I love it. I can't get enough of it. People walking down hallways in business suits. <laughs> I, we need to bring that back. I was really surprised by how sad this movie was. I loved it as a kid as well and actually haven't seen it in oh, quite God, some time. Oh, God, it is so wistful. It is so sad. It's all about like your lost childhood and like the stuff about his mother. Oh. But it's also about like shitty dads. Like... Even when he sort of becomes, quote unquote, good dad at the end, he's like, don't worry about the window. Everything's cool. I'm fun now. It's like the opposite of his earlier mania where it's like, he's still not there. He's just like more upbeat and positive. That's a good point. It has like a really fucked up view of what being a dad is. The The mom is just sort of constant. Like she never wavers in being a mom, but he's like all over the place. Like, early on, I just want her to just, like, file divorce papers. Yeah, he has, like, no stability whatsoever as a father figure. My word is my bond. I hate that. Oh, God, I know. (laughs) What is it about the 90s or Steven Spielberg and, like, absent parent or horrible parent movies? Off the top of my head, I can't think of any kids' movies from my childhood where there was a good parent. I wonder if it's just like a satisfying thing to watch where it's like you're redeemed watching all these shitty parents. Right, but then watching it, I was like, yeah, my parents are shitty too, but they were not shitty. (laughs) They were very good parents. Not to the extent that Robin Williams' character was shitty in her. No, not to that extent. They, they didn't miss they didn't miss my baseball game <laughs> <laughs> or send a replacement to videotape it no no never they did they did forget to pick me up a couple times from daycare and that was like pre- pretty bad <laughs> oh, that happens. But who can blame them oh I think we've all been there <laughs> I don't actually know whether this movie is aimed at adults or kids like you would think it's aimed at children because I think every adult hated this movie when it first came out it has like <laughs> horrendous reviews i think it has like a 30 percent on rotten tomatoes which blows my mind i mean i've always thought of it as a classic yes yeah it's a weird movie like parts of it definitely drag a little but like uh, for me like the the third act you know where they're having that big battle on the boat that part gets really tedious but that's pretty typical of any kind of movie where there's a battle at the end um i think it's it's actually a pretty good movie like it holds up pretty well And it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, but all the technical awards, I think. It was nominated for production design and makeup and maybe sound. The makeup was incredible. The makeup was great. The makeup's amazing. The production design is amazing. I still need to be Rufio for Halloween sometime, I think. (laughs) 
if you could get other people to go as like your Lost Boys crew, that would really kick it up though. Oh yeah, but then everyone would want to be Rufio. Could you do that hair, that like triple mohawk? I don't know. I'd have to like get a wig or something. <laughs> did, <laughs> did his whole style like predate the like parkour, like 90s skate punk uh, subculture of kids? I think they were definitely supposed to be part of that skate punk thing because, you know, they, they are like literally on skateboards in that game they play where they're sort of playing mm-hmm. basketball. So I think that that was kind of tacking onto that trend a little bit. Mm-hmm. They're like, we need to make these kids look fucking cool and intimidating. So let's give them skateboards. They did look fucking cool. I was t- I still, still to this day, you know, I still watching this movie as a grown up. I totally want to be one of the Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my God. I want to be a Lost Boy so bad. I want to run, run around on that set, like where it, it changes from the four seasons. I just want to like run around and around there, play yeah. with penguins. I also want to eat all the food in that feast. This conversation could not happen without us talking about the feast scene, which is my absolute favorite scene in the whole movie. It's so amazing. And it's like, I like how it's mostly just like whipped cream with food coloring. <laughs> Yet it still looks incredibly delicious. It totally looks like food that kids would piece together. Well, it's because they all sell it so well. They sell, like, how delicious it is. And then when, when Robin Williams is, like, so hungry and then he finally sees the food, it's the best moment. I have to say, there's, like, a lot of moments in this movie that make me highly emotional um, mm-hmm. because this movie hits so many great, like, emotional highs and lows. Like, the moment where he learns to use his imagination, like, that... I was like, damn it, Spielberg. Like, I know this is here. The the music swells. And I know I'm supposed to get emotional when, like, he imagines the food and, like, he's tapped into his imagination. But it works. I'm so mad that it works. He knows how to just, like, jack off those heartstrings. (laughs) And then, like, that John Williams soundtrack is, like, is, like, oh, my God. It's just the icing on top. Literally. One of the things that's really interesting to me about this movie is how... You know, when I watched it as a kid, I didn't think about the fact that it was pretty much all boys and any female characters are just like cardboard cutouts. Um, the only cool uh, female character is, is uh, the, the granny. What, you know, what's her name? Wendy. <laughs> Maggie Smith. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because it's Maggie Smith, of course, she's a badass. But yeah, why, why are all the lost boys boys? But I, I think from an early age... I and a lot of women kind of just learn to connect with boy characters because there's so many more boy-centric kids' movies. When I was a little kid, I wanted nothing more than to be a boy. Uh, I found it so unfair that I had to be a girl because when I watched movies and TV shows, girls didn't get to do the fun, funny stuff. And that's not, you know, that's not what I was into. I mean, we, with the exception of maybe like something like Now and Then, which includes some really fun female characters. Like, I wanted to be one of the Newsies. I never thought about how, like, the only female character in that is super lame and doesn't do anything. I totally forgot about gender when I watched it. But, I like, I just don't think that's necessarily the case for boys watching movies. <laughs> they have so many more options and possibilities, but I think it's something that, like, we tend to do as women, just insert ourselves into male characters. But it sucked because then as a kid, I was like, oh, girls suck. (laughs) They're no, they are not fun. (laughs) I totally had that misconception for a long time. Movies 
bake that into our mindset from a young age because we're like, why do we want to be like lame old Maggie or like lame Peter Pan's wife when we could be like Rufio and fucking running the show? Even Tinkerbell who fucking flies, you know, she's totally like her main character trait is that she's in love with Peter Pan and that's yeah that's her one wish is to like be big so that she can kiss him and then oh my god Julia Roberts is just stoned out of her mind the entire movie you see how big her her pupils are they're like dilated as big as dinner plates I was trying to pinpoint what what her character was like and that's probably pretty accurate uh I read that Spielberg refuses to work with her ever again after this movie really yeah because she was like just bonkers the entire time oh my god i do like her hot mullet though (laughs) oh yeah those little tights but that was like that was them trying to like boy her up a little bit right like she's even though she's tinkerbell and she's a fairy which is like normally associated with girl characters she's kind of like rough and tumbly and in one of the boys and like she fits in with the lost boys yeah even though she tries to like control them, she sort of tries but she's, to mother but them. But she's still she's still in like a nagging role though. She's like, "Boys, listen, come on!" And they're kind of like, uh, "Whatever." And they try to swat her away. Besides, so besides Tinkerbell and besides Wendy, when she was there for like a few years, the only other girl characters in Never Neverland are the mermaids. Oh my I god, which is the, the weirdest scene. It's such a fucking weird scene. They <laughs> just start making out with him. <laughs> Yes, it is super weird. I still totally wanted to be one of them because their hair was amazing. It's like purple <laughs> oh, yeah. and green and red and blue. It's just like, it's so beautiful. And their faces are all kind of bedazzled. Yeah, no, that scene is bizarre. Um, it's it's one of those scenes that like as an adult, I was like, huh, I have a weird sort of like sense memory of this scene. I wonder if it's as weird as I remember it being. And then I watched it. I'm like, yep, yeah. They just make out with him, and then that's the end of that. <laughs> and and then he's saved, and that's and everybody's fine. Were you guys weirded out by the fact that Maggie Smith was like <laughs> taking a moment with Robin Williams, where she's like, "Oh, you don't remember me," and she like puts her hand on him. Everybody, everybody wants to fuck him. <laughs> that's also the weird thing in the movie. Like every single woman in it. I mean, except for you know his daughter is like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Peter Pan. <laughs> Would it have been more believable if it was a different actor than Robin Williams? Not to say Robin Williams isn't like very sexy in his own special He's way. He's not that sexy. He kind of is, but like not not as obviously so as, you know, a George Clooney or a Brad Pitt. Yeah, like what if they had cast like a traditionally hot actor man in that kind of role? Would that have been I bet it wouldn't have been as good, though. Yeah. Like Tatum (laughs) O'Neill. Or, whoa, that's not even a man. Like Channing Tatum. (laughs) I was just going to (laughs) say. Which Tatum? Sorry, guys. I I think either Tatum would be good. I get the Tatums. I would love to see Hook remade with Channing Tatum. (laughs) (laughs) That would not work. But I would still watch it. He takes a stripper break using one of the, like, poles on the ship. I'm definitely going to see Magic Mike 2, that's for sure. Oh my <laughs> god, I'm so excited for that movie. It looks like a hot mess, but I still want to see it. You know, I want you to do an illustrated review of that movie. Oh my god. <laughs> no, I'm too horny to draw it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the first one was so good, but then like the second one's not even directed by Soderbergh. It's like going to be directed by his right-hand man. Mm. He's like assistant director. So yeah, I don't know. 
Did you see the first Step Up movie that Channing Tatum was in? No, but I know that that's, uh, that's like what his wife's famous for, right? She's in all those Step Up movies. I had no idea. Did they get married after they did Step Up together? I think so. I think so. She's, she's a great dancer. And so is he. So is he. I highly recommend the first Step Up movie. I think he's a good actor. Um, he's not as good then, but he is an incredible dancer, and he's so goofy. He doesn't have a lot of range, but he sure is fun to watch, and yeah, he's an incredible dancer. But I was wondering who this movie is even aimed at, right? Because it's not actually from the perspective of the kids. It's from the perspective of the grown-up, but like, you know, the, the man-child right. person. So it's, it's it's sort of supposed to be like a reminder to stay youthful to adults, like... Why, why are kids watching but it? But what's a kid going to get out of this except that, you know, he or she or any kid wants to be one of the Lost Boys because they're so cool to hang out with? I think it's a true family movie, like a lot of Spielberg's movies. It's um, It's got a little bit of something for everybody, right? Like, um, you know, all the scenes with Jack, like where he's bashing those clocks and stuff. Those are That's totally like for a child to relate to. Um, and the Lost Boys as well. But then... Yeah, it's also meant to entertain your parents who dragged you to the theater. <laughs> this movie also made being gross look really fun. Oh my god, yeah. Um, especially during the food fight scene, because and you know, in the way that the Lost Boys lived, like they just they like were so there was no self consciousness in their lives. They were so That's why themselves. I say that it was for kids as well, because it was totally fulfilling that fantasy of just being a slob, like slopping around in the mud and not getting in trouble. And actually, like, getting points for the best insult. Yeah. That insult oh, that seems so the good. best. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Eat your heart out, you prinkled, wrinkled, fat bag. You're a very ill-mannered young man. You're you know a slug that? and worm. Come on, you can do better than that. can't believe you're encouraging me. Yeah, 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 show me your fastball dust brain, you paunchy, sag-bottom puke pot. You are a very poor role model for these kids. Do you know that? I bet you don't even have a fourth grade reading level. And where it'll suck navel. Well, maybe a fifth grade reading level. <laughs> Boil dripping, beef fart sniffing, bubble butt. Someone has a severe caca mouth. Do you know that? You are a fart factory. Slug slime, sack of rat guts and cat vomit. Cheesy scab picked pimple squeezing finger bandage. A week old maggot burger with everything on it and flies on the side. Substitute chemistry teacher. Come on, Rufio, hit a math. Mung tongue. Math tutor. Pinhead. Prison barber. Mother lover. Nearsighted gynecologist. In your face, camel cake. In your rear, cow derriere. Lion crying, spying, prying, ultra pig. You lewd, crude, rude, bag of pre-chewed food, dude. Bakery! Cleaner! You man! Stupid, stupid man! Rufio, if I'm a maggot burger, why don't you just eat me? You two-toned, zebra-headed, slime-coated, pimple-farming, paramecium brain, munching on your own mucus, suffering from Peter Pan envy. What's a paramecium brain? I'll tell you what a paramecium is. That's a paramecium. It's a one-celled critter with no brain that can't fly. Don't mess with me, man. I'm a lawyer. Benny, 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 Benny,
so much of me talking about this movie is just being like, I love it so much. But then I, I imagine if, if like someone watched it now for the first time, it maybe wouldn't uh, tap into how great it is. Yeah, I, I think yeah. the sense memory of watching it as a kid was a big part of the enjoyment. Like watching it now, it just made me feel too sad. Like that kid, Jack, just I don't see a lot of relief in him. He's a great actor like a child actor, like his eyes are just so big and soulful. He yeah. grew up to become the nerd in Can't Hardly Wait. <gasps> no, really? Yeah. Whoa. I know. It's kind of mind blowing. So wait, Cassini, do you think this movie, did this movie make you too sad? Yeah. This may have something to do with me being a pregnant person. Um, so I'm oh, like, congratulations. Slowly- Thanks. So I'm like slowly transitioning to the side of the adults. (laughs) Robin Williams was such a shitty dad. And the mom was like trying to keep her family together and like trying to have a good time. I don't know. At the end, it doesn't seem to have a very happy resolution because I, I just don't think Robin Williams will still be there for his kids. Like, yes, he learned how to be youthful. But I don't think he, like, fully learned how to be a good parent or how to be present. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I think I think we I think we're just to assume that since he threw his phone out the window, he's uh, he's a great parent now. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's Everything's going to be OK from now on. He's never going to yell at his wife and children again. Yes, he's oh, never going to... Oh, God, gonna... that, that part where he yells at them is really traumatic. Yeah, it's scary. When he's on the phone. Oh, God, it's so scary. Like, it totally... Like, I definitely had moments where my parents, like, snapped at me like that because, you know, they're parents and I was a fucking pain in the ass. Um, and it, it was just... Oh, God. Fornicate someplace else. You took a $5 billion deal falling apart because of this? Why didn't somebody just shoot me in the head? Bang! Sorry. And leave me alone for one moment more. Get him out of here, will you? I'm on the phone call of my life. That movie really does that part really well. Yeah, this movie is all like heightened emotions the entire time. I think uh, Spielberg, Spielberg's a good director when it comes to this stuff. I know his movies are like known for being kind of schlocky and whatever, but they're really true to life, I think, in a way that a lot of movies aren't. I mean, but this is, I'm biased, obviously, as someone who's watched Warhorse three times and cried every time, so. <laughs> Warhorse, I was told, was just too sad. It's really sad, but it also has a happy ending, kind of. I mean, yeah, it does. There's just, like, sad parts. I guess the way that I approach movies now, if I know it's going to be, like, a crazy emotional roller coaster i might not see it because i don't oh, know oh yeah me too right i can't bring i never saw like 12 years a slave or anything because i'm like i know how i'm gonna feel when i watch that and i just don't know if i can handle it some people really revel in those kinds like i have a friend whose favorite movie is dancer in the dark and she's oh like she's always I... asking me if i want to watch it i'm like no, no. Oh my God, never again. When I saw that movie, I, um, it, like, what, I wasn't even crying at the end. It was like my face just opened and <laughs> just water was pouring out. Like it was completely out of my control. It was a terrifying feeling. It felt like I was never going to stop crying ever again. <laughs> and I'm terrified of my emotions. So it was a very bad feeling. <laughs> God damn it, Bjork. <laughs> 
having a movie like reach into your soul like that is not an experience I go into willingly. So it has to like catch me off guard. Who's the director? Was it Lars von Trier? Yeah. Oh, fuck that guy. He's like, I, I think he's, he's like a masochistic, like, asshole. <laughs> well, he loves torturing women in his movies. Every movie he does is a woman being tortured in some, whether emotionally or physically or whatever. But I just, yeah, I can't anymore with him. But wait, have you guys ever seen The Five Obstructions? No. I, um, it's kind of obscure, but I happen to see it by chance, um... Uh, probably back when I was working at a movie theater, but uh, he, it's, it's, you should check it out. <laughs> Especially if you think he's a dick, it, it like really shows him being an asshole. <laughs> oh God. I want to backtrack. You worked at a movie theater? Yeah. I used to work at the new art, which is an art house uh, movie theater in West LA. Huh. It was uh, like one of my first jobs. For how long? Um, I think I worked there for a year. What, what are like the movies that stand out to you from the time of working there? Um, we had like a Kurosawa retrospective. So for an entire week, I um, just saw a Kurosawa movie every night and cool. it was incredible. Like, I, I feel like I learned so much just watching them on the big screen. Um, my, my first night of working there was a midnight showing of Donnie Darko and I worked 11 hours straight and then I had to kick two paint huffing kids out of the audience. Oh. Uh, and, and then my boss mooned them. And I saw off my boss's ass. <laughs> and you were like, this is an excellent place of business. I'm going yes. to stay here forever. Yes, exactly. I also <laughs> saw Michael Jackson when I was working oh there. God. He came in to see a documentary about um, 70s directors. What? Oh, my God. Michael Jackson went and saw movies in movie theaters? That blows my mind. He was wearing a green Hulk mask. Um, but <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was him. <laughs> And then Anthony Kiedis came in the same night, um, like an hour later. And I was like, oh, pff, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he walked around L.A. wearing, and I'm talking about Michael Jackson, not Anthony Kiedis. Yeah, did he walk around L.A. Anthony in Kiedis. a green Hulk mask just to like be incognito? I mean, he used to wear a lot of masks and blankets and stuff over his face. Um, I think he, he had a bunch of different ones. I think he, he enjoyed it, probably. He seemed kind of giddy. You would think that would attract more attention than avoid it. Yeah, I mean, people were definitely staring. It depends where you are in LA, I guess. Like, if you're where all the, you know, the Batmans and the Spider-Men hang out, it's probably, you're probably safe. I mean, it definitely probably looked less weird for him to be wearing a green Hulk mask than for him to be without a mask at all. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, exactly. He's much more recognizable as Michael Jackson than the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. Um, that's an incredible celebrity sighting, though, I have to say. That's my best one. <laughs> I worked in the movie theater for three months, and the only celebrity I saw was Emily Mortimer. She is really great. I love her. She was actually mentioned in the first episode of uh, Horseman. It was like a weird celebrity name to throw out. She was. I remember the discussion about that. <laughs> my uh, Raphael, the creator of the show, just he has he has like an encyclopedic knowledge of of actors and actresses. Is that generally how y'all come up with ideas for things on the show? It's just like someone throws it out in a meeting or someone just comes by and like is like, hey, here's a thing. Well, most of it is, is Raphael, but um, he's got a whole room full of writers who pitch things and come up with ideas. So it's kind of hard to track individual ideas back to whoever threw them out there in the first place. But yeah, most of it is, is Raphael's brainchild. 
And then for, for like visual gags, it's, it's mostly uh, Mike Hollingsworth, our supervising director. And then I come up with a lot of stuff and storyboarders come up with a lot of stuff. It's like, it's really um, collaborative. I've been seeing your illustrations ever since I picked up a tiny zine at the Mocha Fest many years ago. So it's, it is kind of magical to like finally see all those clothes and like weird cat people in motion. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's fun for me too. (laughs) Like what's the most amazing thing in terms of like making your work look animated at this point? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I, I love just being able to go in there and add details when there's time. I mean, every background I go in there and I, I add just like, I'll draw like a vase from my parents' house that I remember from my childhood. Or like, um, I do a lot of parodies of um, works of art that I, I find. And um, yeah, I just, I just love adding sort of the finishing touches to things and mm-hmm. making it look extra detailed so that when people, you know, I, I want people to binge watch it and then go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sort of making stuff that makes you want to pause and rewatch. And um, that's always really fun for me. That's awesome. Ksenia and I both have the tendency to like obsessively screen cap things as we watch it because oh gosh me too yeah because it's like yeah I have whole folders full and I'm like what am I what am I using these for (laughs) (laughs) what is this research it's just like beautiful things to look at I don't know it's like I love just flipping through them and remembering tableaus or like the tiny details and backgrounds and stuff and like that's kind of the best thing like you were just describing it's like you put little things in the background that like makes you want to screen cap things. When I did that in the first season, I kept thinking like, oh, I don't know why I'm doing this. Like nobody's going to notice this thing. But then um, after the show came out, there was this BuzzFeed list of like 140 things you might not have noticed. Awesome. And they screen cap stuff and like almost all of it was like little thing. I mean, I mean, I'm bragging now, but a lot of it was like <laughs> stuff that I, that I added. Um, and it was really, really rewarding. That's that was really like the, the best moment for me, really. Oh, sure. so now this this season, I'm just going totally nuts. <laughs> what's the what's something that you've slipped into a background that you're excited about, or is like a, I don't know, like an inside joke that you're excited for some one one person out there to be like, yes, I get that. Oh my god, I can't even think. I mean, oh God, I, I mean, I really like drawing dumb t-shirts on characters. So when people notice a t-shirt and laugh at it, and even like a bunch of people started making their own versions of my joke t-shirts and selling them online, which is like totally not okay, but also delightful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I guess I like it when people notice anything because there's so many uh, people working super hard on this show. It's just like really rewarding when their little marks on the show are noticed. So I wanted to ask you, because this has sort of been coming up lately, about, and you were just on NPR talking about it, uh, you fighting to make two sort of inconsequential characters for a gag female. And to have the default instinct to make characters male is something that, like... Especially funny, like, comedy characters male. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's my default as well that I'm constantly pushing against. Right now, like, before I do any character I pretty much I ask myself um well okay what was my first impulse why does it have to be that is there any problem if I make it the opposite um whether that's gender or race or now even you know we're trying hard to to introduce a more a bigger variety of people so like we drew an extra in a wheelchair we 
drew someone with a burqa. Like I, you know, we want like a wide variety of people represented because it's taking place in this universe where animals can be people. And like, there's so many crazy characters, like, you know, why not represent every kind of person there can be as well. There's just so many shows where, yeah, it's just like white dudes get to do the funny stuff <laughs> and um, it's not really okay anymore. <laughs> there's not, there's not really an excuse for it. It's also proving that anyone can be funny, that men are not the default uh, purveyors of comedy in our world, right? It's tough, though. I mean, um, like on that NPR piece, there was a comment that's like kind of proved our point where it was just a dude saying like, well, I don't know if it's if it's women on screen, then it muddies up the joke. It, it takes it takes me longer to laugh at it. I'm like, well, well, maybe if he sees more women throughout cartoons and films, like he'll stop thinking about it. Yeah, there there is definitely a hump to get over where it is more difficult. Um, it's not an easy, smooth transition, but that's why we need to do it. Yeah, the more you do it, the more it becomes normalized and people don't even have to think about the fact like, oh, that's a woman or, you know, it's a, it's a, they were both dogs, right? There was a, it was a dog and then a person in a business, business suit. Business woman. Yeah, yeah. It was a human lady and a dog lady. And the dog slobbers all over the business lady. Um, yeah, like there's there's no question that somebody slobbering on somebody else is funny, regardless of like the gender or race or or anything of the people. That's what I thought. But then it became this whole thing. It was like a huge, you know, thing. And I didn't I didn't want to drop it because I was like, you know, there's not really a good excuse <laughs> for not making them this gender. So those questions, though, of like, why is this my instinct to make a character this gender or what have you, are those questions that, you know, as an artist, as a cartoonist, you're always asking yourself? Or does that just sort of evolve the more you do it, the more you become, the more art you do, I guess? I've always tried to do that. Um, In a lot of my illustration work, I've tried to represent a variety of different people, um, partly because I get bored easily. So I like to mix it up (laughs) yeah I just think everyone should should stop and think about things before they draw them and why they're going to draw them a certain way instead of just going on autopilot or even just when you make any art like any film or tv show I mean even bringing it back to Hook the Lost Boys is such a like multicultural group of kids that I thought that was really great without like having to emphasize it it didn't hit you over the head with it at all exactly no exactly they actually did that really well it wasn't like a thing (laughs) it wasn't a thing and it was like oh yeah of course in Never Never Land there are just like people of all colors who look all sorts of different ways and of all different like body types um Mm -hmm. yeah they're all boys but like we all it's still I mean we still all identified with it it worked in some way could have been worse. It could have been. <laughs> is, that, is that not the truth for so many movies? I guess it could have been worse. <laughs> I know this is something that Eleanor and I are really gleeful about. And I'm, I'm curious if other women have like reached out to you with just like gratitude of how, how like gross your comics are. <laughs> I just I feel love like I... that there's so much like farting and like pussies and dicks and like yeah in some ways I feel like I I used to be grosser and braver because I had a smaller audience and so um you know like I've I've wanted to do comics recently about like my period and stuff and I've been a little more hesitant to than I used to be um and that makes me sad I feel like you know maybe I should just go for it but it's scary when people actually start paying attention you're like well I don't want to like really turn people off but um that's part of 
how I got started. It's, it, it's scary. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'll admit to it. There's certain things that I, I feel like, uh, you know, should I joke about this? I don't know. I think, I mean, it makes sense. I think about that too. I mean, suddenly if you are being recognized and doing, you know, it's almost like you are taking a stand about something and then you have to say, oh, is this like the thing that I want to take a stand about? Like, is this what I'm, is this really what I'm trying to say? Like, I just thought this thing was funny, but now suddenly it's like saying something and people are going to pay attention to that. And then I have to like speak for my work. I mean, it's a little bit of the Lena Dunham syndrome where it's like, girls is actually pretty goofy and some episodes don't have a strong message, but because she's Lena, like everything has to have a message and it's feminist and it's important and let's And she comes it. under fire for every single thing she does and it's because of the increased exposure and because people are mad at how successful she is mm-hmm. they don't expect it from someone like her yeah. um, she's a very poised and intelligent young woman but she isn't perfect and um, she suffers for it and it's still her perspective like she's not necessarily like the representative of the current wave of feminism i'm like guys guys can we like you know criticize her for the things she gets wrong while still understanding how much she gets right and and you know the ground that she's broken mm-hmm. for young women and how intelligent she is like yeah. i don't know I, why does it have to be so black and white but then i'm like well you know is it worth it to do a two page spread of you know a bleeding pussy or whatever, if it's going to turn off half my audience, like, is it worth it? I don't know. Or is, am I going to find a new audience that does like that? Ultimately, I'm going to work to please myself and hope, you know, other people like it too. But I wish I could be a hundred percent free. <laughs> Who's the female comic artist who did that? Like, there's this like beautiful scene where she's walking through the city and like her, underwear sort of like giving her a front wedgie and there's just like blood pouring out into the city do you know what I'm talking about oh my god I don't know is it Julie Doucet yes is it like a, yes 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 she was the queen of that but you know she kind of stopped doing comics because at the time she was the only person the only woman making comics like that and it was totally a boy's world Ugh. um and she just didn't have the support she needed and I think it really mm-hmm. fucked her up a little bit it's, it's kind of a tragic thing. I, I wish her work is so amazing and it, it's so inspiring to so many people of my generation. If the landscape is there's lots of women or lots of people drawing periods, drawing sex, drawing pussies in just like whatever their experience is, committing that to paper, it's almost like uh, we were saying earlier with female characters, the more normalized it becomes, the less shocked people start reacting it's true, but things. it's a two—it's a two-edged sword because you're, in some ways, you're normalizing it by showing it, but then it's very easy for people to pigeonhole you if they're like, okay, you're one of those feminist artists who draws periods, whatever. Like then they can marginalize you, mm-hmm. put you in a box. So, you know, I I do kind of want to maintain mainstream appeal in some ways, just so. I have a bigger audience to get a message to or whatever. What I was telling Eleanor earlier about your film reviews is like the way I see them is that they're like kind of sneakily feminist. Like I'm sure a lot of people discovered you through those because like that was like the big thing online was your That's film reviews. That's what I reviews. want at all times is to be a sneaky feminist. I had that experience with um, I had that experience with Bojack too. Like uh, Raphael and I were doing a Reddit AMA. And I, I wrote something feminist. Oh, some guy was like, oh, I wish you didn't have these feminist messages. What? And 
was trying to shove them down our throats. And I was like, well, I wish you would just like slide it down your own throat willingly, but you know, um, and then like lubricated for you. Yeah. Someone, this other guy then responded that he was tweeting at me like, you know, I like your show, but please keep your politics out of it. And I was like, no, you know what? This show was created by feminists deal with it. And we are not going to keep politics out of artwork. That's not how that works. And it's just, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna infuse any art that one does anyway. It's like, you can't, I don't know, you can't, if you're an artist, you can't stop your point of view from filtering through your work. I mean, even... And nor should you. I mean, that's the whole point of artwork. I'm, I don't know. I'm really proud to work on this show, partly because, um, like, Raphael is, is a feminist, and he is so smart about it, and our writers are so great. And, like, I'm really excited for people to see season two. Like, some really interesting stuff happens. Um, I just, yeah, I'm really proud. So we would be, speaking of horses, we would be totally remiss if we did not talk to you about great horses of cinema. Um, so when Lisa and I were discussing what to talk about um, when you were coming on our show, you mentioned the uh, the horse trope matrix. That's not what it's, <laughs> that's not its real name, but that's how you described it. Like uh, I'm just imagining the matrix, but with horses now, <laughs> just like horses flying at you like bullets. Um, I yeah, I created a I made a list of horse movies, and then I noticed some repeating patterns, and so I made sort of a key to figure out which movies fit into which categories. But um, do you want to hear the things that are repeating amongst yes, like all please. horse movies? Please. Okay. So first of all, there's always like a wild or unruly horse that can only be tamed by one person. Mm-hmm. There's always Mickey Rooney. <laughs> always a physically impaired protagonist, or almost always. Um, the horse always wins the contest or race or competition at the end of the movie. And uh, almost always the color of the horse is part of the title. Huh. Interesting. So then I like listed all the movies and I was like showing and I was typing in which ones adhered to which rule. But yeah, it's it's pretty fun. Like if you start to break it down, you're like, okay, Black Beauty, Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken, Dark House, uh, Dark, Dark Horse, The Silver Brumby, Lightning, The White Stallion, The Adventures of the Black Stallion, wow. National Velvet, Hot to Trot, The Black Stallion Returns. <laughs> <laughs> Are you finding that there is any particular characteristics that like horses of of various breeds or colors seem to possess? Well, the black um, the black horses are usually a little more evil um, or or wild. Definitely, there's something about a black horse that's like evoking wildness, and and then a white horse is evoking purity or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of like what those colors mean in movies, regardless of whether those horses are not. Yeah. But yeah, it's usually a black or white horse. Those are the best colors of horse to be in a movie, I think. <laughs> Have you been into horse movies like since you were a kid or is this something? Oh, yeah. Wow. I mean, um, I wanted to either be a horse or marry a horse <laughs> when I was a kid. I'm really into horses, like really, really, really. So it's fun that I now work on a show about one. I think one of the things in your book you talk about like when you're in a car, you you imagine that you're actually riding on a horse next to it. And when you're jogging, you imagine you're a horse running. Yeah, I still do that. <laughs> <laughs> it really helps if you're jogging and you're really bored and tired. Just imagine you're like a powerful, beautiful animal who loves to run. It's a great meditation. Thank you for I'm sharing that with us. You. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you for coming on the show. And also thank you for uh, suggesting Hook. I was like so delighted to revisit this movie. And like you also helped me realize it is definitely a sexy movie. 
It's sexy. <laughs> it's weirdly sexy. Pirates. I don't know. Something about being like walking down the plank is weirdly alluring. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Just you can sexualize there. anything. I, I kind of wondered if like the era of like having weirdly erotic movies for children was over, but maybe not. Maybe like kind of anything becomes weirdly erotic if you're watching it you know, before you, I don't know, whatever. We're getting to a weird area. (laughs) (laughs) I think I, I, I'm going to say, I agree with you. If you, if you are at a certain age with a certain, uh, mindset and you watch a movie, you're going to find something to get turned on about in it. Sorry, parents, you can't protect your children from getting (laughs) turned on by things. (laughs) Some, someone out there 10 years from now is going to be like, you know, it was sexy. The Lego movie. Mm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast. You're, are you going to make a podcast? How pod- many children listen to your podcast? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if they do, you know, make your own podcast about it in 10 years and tell us about it. Yeah. Now I'm thinking of Casper and like having to like squeeze my knees together while watching oh the my scene. God. Devin Sawa. Devin Sawa. I, I, but I saw that Ricci. scene again recently and I'm like, oh, he's literally a child. I had a crush <laughs> on a child. I was also a child, but that's still fucking weird to see now. And like imagining the casting directors casting him because he was like the sexiest kid. That's a dark place <sighs> to go. I know. I know, but it's, <laughs> Sorry, it's true. Guys. Oh, Devin, <laughs> weird note to end Devin on. Devin <laughs> Sawa will always be that kid in my heart. He's so beautiful. Speaking of Peter Pan, like in our hearts, like he will never, he will never grow up. <laughs> now I'm just crying. <laughs> Devin, if you're listening, oh my God. Call, call us. He definitely listens to this podcast. <laughs> Lisa, is there anything that you want to plug or uh, any place you would want to send our listeners to, to find oh, more geez. of your work? Um, I have a podcast called Baby Geniuses that you should listen to if you want more podcasts in your ears. And then um, watch BoJack Horseman. And uh, also I post work on my website regularly. It's just lisahannawalt.com if you want to see drawings of dicks and, uh, you know, me having my period. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, this has been Bonnie and Maude. Uh, You can find out more from us at our Facebook, at our Twitter, at our Tumblr. Bonnie and Maude is our name for all of that stuff. Uh, You can also email us at bonnieandmaude at gmail.com. Till next time. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.